Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Hey everybody, welcome to the Profoundly Pointless Podcast. My name is Nick. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, and share. It really helps us out and we really appreciate it. I want to apologize ahead of time because this intro might have a little bit of a weird vibe to it. And I think that's because all morning long I've been listening to a mix of Metallica Enter Sandman and Robin Dancing on My Own. So I'm kind of going back and forth between feeling really aggressive and feeling really happy at the same time. I think we've got a really interesting show lined up. We're going to be talking to a guy who has this inspiring and terrifying and fascinating story about being the first person to ski some of Antarctica's biggest mountains. It's a really cool story, not only because... It might inspire you to go out and find your own adventures, but also because if you don't like to do these kind of things, you can kind of live vicariously through him. We're also going to have a special guest co-host, and that is because somebody has a complete and total inability to plan ahead. So I'm really hoping that the whole time the guest co-host is on, that John Schull is just sitting there listening, getting angry. That is really, that is really what I want to happen. Let's go ahead, though, and get to our first guest. This is Matthias Mayer. He's a professional skier. He's a documentary filmmaker. He's an explorer. And not only did he go across parts of Antarctica using a kite, he filmed all of this. He has a new movie, No Man's Land, that's coming out. And it's all about how he and his team were the first people to ski some of the biggest and steepest lines on Antarctica's mountains. Is there really basically just nothing there? Um, I would say it's like if you imagine being on another planet, like on Mars or on Moon, like there's nothing that seems alive. And there's just a big, vast area of, of ice, snow, and, and rocks. Why did you want to do this? Once someone has a chance to explore the whole world, you should take this chance. Were you, I mean, in terms of preparing for this, like what kind of preparation goes into it? I started my career as a professional athlete because of more than of 10 years of professional training. I would say this is the basic of being fit enough to go to an area like this. The last time before to go there, so the last 15 months, where you prepare um, mostly the, the the plan what you want to do in Antarctica. So a lot of logistic things, a lot of plans if something goes wrong. So you have to be prepared for every case that could happen. Was it more of a physical challenge or was it more of a mental challenge? Um, it's always a physical challenge. That's, I would say, quite normal. If you don't have the mental strength, you are not able to make it. Like how long were you were you actually there? Uh, in Antarctica, we've been 17 days. It's 
not too much because there are people who stay there for 60 days, for example. People who cross Antarctica, they stay much longer. Their overall goal was to find out if it's possible inside the continent to do big mountain skiing. So to ski steep and, and fast lines, which has nobody done before. So because the only ones who have been skiing in Antarctica ski the peninsula which is much, much further north. So it's, it's a different climate area. It's warmer, it's more precipitation. And the place where we have been is inside the continent. It's, it's much more dry, much more windy, and less precipitation. So it's like a desert. So you guys essentially skied mountains that nobody has ever skied these before? Yes. What's that like? I mean, you're the only person on the planet that's ever been there. It's, I would say... Would you say, did you enjoy Antarctica? I mean, or was it more of just, it's a beautiful place, but I can't wait to get home? <laughs> uh, of course I enjoyed it. And of course I always can't wait to get home, but because I love my home and I, w- I always say my home is, is paradise on earth. But um, you need to, f- to find out that your home is paradise on earth. You need to f- see the other places. Was it cold? Because I just imagine it being incredibly cold. Was it colder than you thought it was going to be, or was it about what you expected? I would say we kind of expected it because we have been to regions in the world that have been almost as cold as Antarctica. So Antarctica is the coldest place in the world, of course, but we've been there in the Antarctic summer. So it had between minus 20 and minus 30 degrees. Uh, the main the main issue is the wind. So if there's a little bit of wind, it already gets with the wind chill much colder. And if you, if you get some storm, it's it's really really tough. For somebody who like I live in Arizona, it's going to be a hundred and two today. Yeah. What's what is that kind of cold like? Um, it's like needles going into your skin or also into your lung when you breathe, and it's something that you just can protect with really good clothing or with a lot of moving. Do you, I mean, are you pretty much basically, you're either moving or sleeping? Yeah, exactly. So uh, when you're sleeping, it's, it's kind of cozy and warm because you need to bring a super warm sleeping bag and a, a thermal mattress and you are mostly inside your tent. Um, and then you move, it's okay because you, you produce a lot of heat with your body. The only time you really... Uh, get cold is when you, for example, when you cook something or when you just rest for a while. That's the toughest moment regarding the cold. Do you have to get permits to go there? I mean, who who's in charge of Antarctica? Like, can you just show up? Yes, it's really difficult to get there. It's uh, kind of maybe the biggest issue to to get a permit to get there. It's, it's not like many other um, remote places in the world where you just can go if you want it. But they are run by different countries and Antarctica is not uh, belonging to any country. It's like a, 
Antarctic treatment and many different co uh, countries are taking care of the Antarctic. So it's, they want to protect it. So that's also the reason why there are such strict permits. So you, you're not allowed to leave anything there. You're not allowed to bring any animals or plants or anything that could be hazardous to change the, the long-time environment of Antarctica. So they basically have to, do they almost have to essentially sterilize everything that you bring in? Exactly, yeah. Is there any possible way that somebody could survive there without bringing stuff in? No, you cannot hunt anything, at least not inland. If you are at the coast, you could hunt for penguins or seals. But uh, as soon as you are inside the, con the continent, and we've been more than 1,000 kilometers away from, from the open water, so there is no chance, absolutely no chance to survive. You, there's nothing to eat, and the second big problem is there's nothing to drink because you need something to heat up the ice to drink water. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because essentially it's all frozen, basically, at that yeah. point, huh? I mean, did, was there any ever point during the trip that you thought, wow, this, this was a bad idea? I would say we are a team of really insanely optimistic guys. So... We hardly ever see any any problem coming up at the horizon, and if there are coming up problems, we we try to immediately find a solution for it and start discussing the problem. And I guess that's the the key why we are successful in what we are doing because we we don't care about what could go wrong, and we also if something goes wrong, we don't care about that it went wrong. We just care about how to fix it. Did you guys run into any problems during the during the trip, or was it all pretty smooth? Uh, and one day, our one of our drones crashed. And as you can imagine, if you crash a drone in the Antarctic, it's pretty hard to to fix it and to repair it. And if somehow managed to fix it, that it flew again up in the air, then we could film the the steepest line of the trip. How I mean, how did you film it? Was it mostly just those drones that follow you, or? Because it was just the three of you, right? There was one filmer and two athletes. So me and Matthias Hanholder are the athletes, and there was one filmer. He, he uh, piloted the drone, and he also filmed with a normal camera. So it's it's not just drones, it's also normal uh, cinematic camera. Do you have to make any special adjustments to the camera or anything like that? As I would imagine okay, those... Yeah. You have to keep the, the batteries warm before you uh, turn them on. And it's really difficult at minus 30 degrees to charge a battery. Now, I, I saw the trailer, and where did you guys come up with the kite idea? That, to me, was really interesting. Our main goal was to find really steep mountain walls to ski, but we knew it could be that these walls are hundreds of kilometers away of our starting point, or maybe in between one and the next line could be a, a, a big distance. And we knew that there's a lot of wind in the Arctic, and the only way to, to move faster than with normal walking is to use a kite. And that's why we started to learn kite surfing a year before we went to Antarctica, four months before we went to Antarctic. I'm not going to lie to you, man. That looked pretty fun. Yeah, it was really fun. But it can be dangerous within a second because the wind is changing really fast, and it gets... Within seconds, it gets twice as strong as it was before. Is, is that this because there's essentially, it, it, it looks very flat and there's like nothing there to stop it? Exactly, yeah. 
exactly. And there, there are mountains at the horizon, and somehow somebody developed like a, a jet stream. If something had happened out there, is there anybody okay. there to help you? Um, not, not directly. There, there is a base camp about 50 kilometers away of where we've been, where all the other expeditioners and adventurers start their, their trips. But there's just one doctor. How do you go back to, to everyday life after doing stuff like this? I mean, how do you ski a mountain in Antarctica and then do your taxes the next week? I would say it's much easier to getting back to everyday life after be, having been there because you feel relieved, you feel happy, you feel like, yeah, it's like a dream came true. And then for me, it's easier to to come back to normal life. And the other thing is also, if you are, or when you are in Antarctic, um, it sometimes helps to think about the normal life because if you're in an in extreme situation, you, you sometimes wish normal life back because normal life is not that exhausting and dangerous. So, um, what's I guess what's what's next then? Um, we are already working on a new project. We want we want to do kind of geographical wise the opposite of what we did last season. So we want to do the northernmost skiing that is possible on the planet. Oh, what would where would that even be? That's Siberia. Uh, it's in Canada, and it's on Ellesmere Island. In and I do a little bit of skiing. I mean, a, a very small amount. Is the skiing was it good skiing? In Antarctica, it was great. It was one of the greatest ski lines we ever did. It was the snow was aggressive because it was dry, so it was hard to ski, but it was not too difficult, and you have. Such big outruns at the end of the lines that you can just go full speed and you don't need to be afraid of anything. It was really something very unique. Oh, because the like you can just kind of you've got an endless runway at the bottom, kind of. Exactly. Yeah, you have twenty million, twenty million square kilometers of outruns. That's. <laughs> yeah, I guess you don't really have to worry about bumping into somebody else, huh? I want to thank Matthias for joining us. However interested you were in that interview that we just did, you really got to check out the pictures and the video and this film, No Man's Land, because just seeing, seeing what Antarctica really looks like and how big these mountains are and how there is just nothing there but snow and ice is just amazing to see. You can see some of the images. You can find out how to watch this film. Just head on over to our social media accounts. That's probably the easiest way to do it. And we've linked to him through them. So now I want to get to our special guest co-host. But before we do that, I want to read you this text message exchange that I got from John Shaw. In last week's episode, I was making fun of him about how once an episode comes out, he's really excited. He's pumped up. He's texting me. He wants to do more with the show. But then when it comes time, to actually record that show, he's nowhere to be found. So this is a text message exchange that I got from him. This is from this is the first text message on Wednesday when he listened to the show. Dude, this is good. A minute later, I respond, yeah. A minute later, he responds, good work. I wish I did more. I respond a minute later, I'm all about you doing more. What do you want to do? 40 minutes later, 
I like what you said about my level of enthusiasm, not making any suggestions about what he could do to do more. I respond, yeah, it's pretty accurate. Can you download WhatsApp? It really makes it sound better on these calls. The next day, he's already starting to wane. I can download. I like the way I sounded. He then responds again after I asked him, did you download it? He responds four days later. Hey, man, I can't record today. I'll have to do it tomorrow. I said, okay, I'm open. I can do pretty much anything. I then have to text him again the next day. What's your status? He responds, I'm pretty sick. Lost my voice. Hoping to be able to do it tonight. I respond a minute later. Okay, let me know. John then responds, five hours later, I can't do it today. I respond, okay, keep me posted. John ultimately wasn't able to be here for this episode for a reason that is really good, it's really positive, but it's absolutely his business to share. So now let's go ahead and actually get to our guest co-host. This is somebody that when we first interviewed her during the interview, I thought that if something ever happens with John, if he falls asleep, if he gets distracted, if he forgets to charge his phone, I knew that I could contact her and that she could fill in no problem because not only is she cool and she's funny, but she gets the show. She gets the stupidity of this show. So let's go ahead and bring in Rachel Carwash and do our top fives. Are you an adventurous person? I am an adventurous person, but not when it comes to snow and winter related activities. And I think, and you get this because you are a Kansan. Those winters, I spent 12, almost 13 years living through super, super cold, cloudy, windy, chilly, snowy, shitty winters. And I just like, I have no desire to adventure in that anymore. I felt like the 12 years I spent in Kansas was enough of an adventure in any kind of cold weather climate for me to feel totally satisfied for the rest of my life. But adventure in general. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the thing that people don't realize about Kansas is it's the worst kind of weather in the sense that like it's, it's cold and it's freezing cold, but there's no fun about it. It's just cold. And it's like dang, it's like legitimately dangerous. It's not even fun. Like Denver winters, you can go pout snow. You know, you can go in the powdery snow up on the mountains and go skiing. In Kansas, you just are trying not to fall, like getting your mail because there's black ice everywhere, and it's so bitterly cold, like your eyes are burning. Like it's not pleasant at all. What is the most adventurous thing you've ever done? Well, this is the only thing I can think of off the top of my head. Two things. So I floated the Kamal River one time down outside New Brunswick, Texas, when I was on a vacation to Austin. And it was really, really full. It was the only, it was during a big flood where all the other rivers you could float were closed. And so for me, that was really adventurous. We got about three quarters of the way down and then they closed the rest of the river. And then I lost my flip flop on the way up the stairs. And luckily my wonderful friend went down and got it for me. So that was kind of an adventurous thing, which sounds 
really lame. And then I also went all the way up to the top of the stratosphere in Las Vegas, and I have a bit of a like a fear of heights. When when you started off and you mentioned the name of the river, I was like, oh, okay, that's pretty adventurous. But I thought it was in a different country, and then you said Texas, and I'm. <laughs> Like oh, it's like a yeah, it's like a placid floating river. So like, you went, it's not you, it's not that cool. <laughs> you went on a float trip, basically. I did, but it, the water was very high and the river was very full, so it was a little treacherous. Okay, Nick, it was treacherous. Sounds sounds truly terrifying. It really does. <laughs> Starting with five, going to one. Top five Halloween candies. My number five candy is Junior Mints. The little boxes of Junior Mints that you get are so good. That was like my favorite movie theater candy. And I don't know why. I think it's because my mom was really picky about chocolate. Nothing could be mixed with chocolate but chocolate. No chocolate and peanut butter. No chocolate and nuts. Uh, no chocolate and mint. Hell no. So anytime I'd go to the movie theater, I would just get down on Junior Mints. So, you so that's my number five. You were rebelling, basically, to get Junior Mints. <laughs> I was. I was like, I'm going to eat this, and my breath is going to smell good afterwards, and it's still going to be sweet, and I'm going to love it, and it was delicious. I, I mean, between the float trip and the Junior Mints, this is this is, <laughs> this is is sounding incredibly rebellious right now. <laughs> I am. I'm a crazy one. I am a crazy one. I'm going to go blow pop. Oh, see, I'm not a, I'm not a, I don't really, I've never been a person who likes suckers. I mean, I was kind of into dum-dums when I would go to the, to the pediatrician's office, but only if they had butterscotch or root beer, I wasn't into any of the other flavors. Like that was basic. Is it because there's like the crunchy and then the soft throw you off? No, I just don't see the appeal. Like I, okay. So it comes back to me, sugar, like sugar candies versus chocolate candies. I always choose chocolate candies. I would rather have like a million pounds of M&Ms over like one dum-dum or one packet of Smarties. I just like, I love the chocolate. I'm a firm believer that chocolate should really be the only flavor. (laughs) Right? Let's just start. We'll just take, we'll carry that forward. Just start going to the grocery store and throwing away. All of the other stuff. That's when, all the if, if somebody's bringing up rum raisin or like mint chocolate chip, just that's ridiculous to me. Chocolate is the only <laughs> flavor. Now, my number four is going to be a Tootsie Roll. Oh, gross. No, that's horrible. That's a horrible. That shouldn't even be in a top five. That is my like least favorite candy ever. And I don't, I can't even tell you exactly why. I think it's because my mind thinks it should taste like chocolate, but it doesn't. It tastes weird. It, like, I can't, like, a that weird flavor that only Tootsie Rolls have. No, see, but it only tastes good to me during Halloween. Otherwise, I could care mm. less about a Tootsie Roll. What's your number four? My number four is Bit O' Honey. I'm throwing it back like what is old wrong school. With you? Oh my gosh, they're so good. I, I worked when I was an intern in college at Bushnell Outdoor Products. The lady at the front desk had one of those candy bowls that was stocked with like those old school candies. And I would go and I would raid that shit. I would take every single bit of honey in there and I would just, oh, they were so good because they're so sugary. I feel like your candy tastes are that of a 70-year-old woman. (laughs) Hey, I don't live the Werther's life. If that's what you're implying, that is not anywhere on this list. So careful there. What's your number three? It's candy or caramel apples. But with with the asterisk oh here that are God. made by trusted neighbors, they're made by trusted neighbors <laughs> because you know you have a kid, you can't be eating things that aren't already pre wrapped. Like my parents would comb our Halloween bags and like throw candy away. They're like, this could be tainted. But you have to eat it. And basically, you have to eat that within thirty minutes of getting it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But they're so good. <laughs> that's like one of those, that's like good Tootsie Rolls for you. I don't have any desire to have like a caramel apple any other time than around 
Halloween. I don't even think they should be made. It's always something to me that I'll look at it like in a candy shop or whatever, and you see yeah. it like, oh, yeah. that looks good. And then I remember it's an apple. It's all stuck to your teeth. It's gross. You got to carry the apple core around. It's too much work. My number three is going to be any whole candy bar. Because we had one neighbor that would give you a whole candy bar, and that was how you knew that was the good neighbor. Oh, that was the best house. We had one house in our neighborhood that did that, too. They had this whole haunted house set up in our front yard, which was totally sick when you were little. And they gave out full-size Snickers. And I couldn't, and when I was a kid, couldn't even understand, like, where they got them. Because I didn't know, you know, that, like, Sam's Club was a thing. I don't know. I just figured that they cleaned out the local Tom Thumb and, like, took every single large Snickers, and it was legit. I still remember you, Mrs. Polk. <laughs> yeah, rest in peace, rest in peace. I think she might actually be dead. That's maybe. Oh, okay. <laughs> it may have been tragic if I remember correctly. Are we on two? What number are we on? Yeah, we're on two. We're on two. So my number two is candy corn. What? So good. It's so good. And it's only the, and it's the same thing with the other things we're talking about. I don't ever want to eat candy corn unless it's around Halloween or like Thanksgiving time. And I only like the, I really don't like the actual candy corn. I prefer the pumpkins, the little pumpkins that are like made of the same substance. They're so good. All of your candy choices are terrible. Uh, I wholeheartedly disagree, but I would say that about yours too. With like Tootsie, like uh, I can't. I lost all respect for you, Nick, when you said Tootsie Rolls were on this list. My number two is peanut butter, or not peanut, peanut M and M's. I love the peanut butter. Peanuts not bad though. Peanut M and M's aren't bad. That's a solid choice. I respect what? that. Wait, did we already do your number two? Did I zone out? Yeah, you say no because you were too raged against it. I was upset corn. about the candy corn thing. <laughs> yeah, you, you had like a blind rage moment where you completely forgot how delicious that is. I get oh, candy corn is so good. I get very upset about things that shouldn't upset other people. <laughs> right. But I do remember like throwing my eyes back and going, "Oh my god, who? I don't understand <laughs> that. Like, who likes?" candy corn and now oh, we know man. who does no oh me 100 percent, because it's just so sugary it's so sugary and it's like addictive it's like strangely addictive and you know what's really good is if you put it in other stuff i made a white chocolate fudge one time that had candy corn in it so good i put it in sugar cookies i put it it's like a great addition to other things that are probably sweet enough that they don't need candy corn in it but like i just I do it anyway. I feel like candy corn belongs in only one place, and that is the trash can. What's your number one? Right, to me, there's only one, one. There's only one that should be on this list. My favorite number one absolute, hands-down favorite Halloween candy is the pumpkins, those Reese's pumpkins that you can only get at Halloween that are, like, huge, and they're, they're like, separate own little containers, not in a big package, that have just, like, a crazy amount of peanut butter to a little bit of chocolate shaped as, like, a pumpkin or, like, a scary cat or whatever that shit is. I have Reese's peanut butter cups down as number one. I did not know about the other kinds of shapes that they made. I've never experienced that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, they're so good. They're usually in random places, either like on end caps or like by the checkout at the grocery store. I completely agree with your decision. I feel like you've completely redeemed your previous <laughs> list. Okay, I, I'm really interested to hear what your top five action movies are going to be. What's your number five? Oh, let's see. Oh, I thought the one that you sent me, you said um, top five things guys should never do. So that's oh, what crap. I'm for. Okay, well, wait, we can do that. I forgot. <laughs> I got the wrong. <laughs> 
I was like, oh my god, top five action movies. Um, Mission Impossible 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. I don't know. Like, this, this, I just watched the new Predator and I didn't really like it that much. I don't know. <laughs> this was the um, one, this was the thing that I was a little bit concerned about with John being out. I was like, we actually might have to be more organized as opposed to just... <laughs> <laughs> and then I got the wrong top five list. Okay, I do like the t- you're the perfect person to talk to about the top five things guys shouldn't do. What's your number five? These are a lot of personal preference. I did also consult my sister, as I had mentioned earlier. So don't be offended, people out there. Don't be offended. This is Rachel Carwell's personal opinion. I think it's really like guys should never let their ear or nose or beard or body hair or whatever hair you have that's not on top of your head grow too long and get really disgusting. Like that is that is something I like it's like bad teeth. It's like you look at someone and you just notice all the scraggly hairs coming out of their nose. I can't I can't rip my eyes away and then I get really nauseous. I can't unsee it. I can't. Is it <laughs> so gross? Is it because of the hair itself, or is it like this is someone that doesn't take care of themselves? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both, but it's definitely more the latter than the former. It's it's like indicative of like a lack of hygiene that I just if you can't even keep the obvious stuff that everybody sees taken care of, like I don't, oh, I don't even, I don't know. Mine is going to be men should not Facetime other men. That's a good one. I didn't think about that. That's a good one. That's very good. Yeah, I agree with that. Another one that I have is men should not drink from a straw. I was at my friend's house last week, and he was talking about that. He was like, I I was talking about how when I'm at restaurants, I will only drink out of straws because I don't like, you know, want my lips to touch the outside of the cup. It's like a weird germ thing. And he goes, oh, what? I looked at him like he was crazy. He goes, guys don't drink out of straws. <laughs> like, nope. Oh. Okay, and then I thought about it. I was like, shit, I don't think I've ever seen, I don't think I've ever seen that. Men so, should not, right. no, men <laughs> should not drink out of straws. It is it is widely accepted in the male community that you should not be using a straw. The only, only exception is a big gulp, 44 ounces or larger. Okay. Oh, all right. That's a very specific exception, but I'll take it. I understand that. My number four, uh, men should not use Axe body spray after middle school or ever, really. As soon as I remember those commercials when they came out, and I just remember thinking, oh, great, now every douchebag is going to smell like that. <laughs> God, it's so bad. I, I literally, from probably age 13 to I graduated high school, I, I think guys went nose blind to it because that was right at the beginning of the axe craze. It's like before they had all this other stuff, they only had that weird can, short little fat can that would just spray out this massive blast of like white powdery deodorant smell. And it was so disgusting. And these guys would just load it on. And I think, I mean, there's like an easy solution to not having to use axe body spray. Number one would just be to shower. Or number two would be to buy some damn cologne because it does the same thing. But then the women next to you, their eyes aren't watering because it's like so strong that they can't catch their breath. Is there a type of woman, though, that really appreciates someone with Axe body spray? <laughs> Maybe a 13-year-old girl? I don't know because any anything smells better than in a guy at 13 without Axe body spray. So I don't know. I can't answer that. Nobody that I know is on Team Axe. Everyone I know is on Team Shower and Team Cologne. It's probably the better team long-term to be on. 
That's what I would think too, but you know. Men should not FaceTime each other. This is... I would say that. I'd say that's true. All right, my number three, guys should stop hating Drake. Like, why do you guys hate Drake? I can't understand it. It's just because he talks about his emotions. He has such a gorgeous voice. He has an OVO brand. He's a Raptors fan. I could go on and on about how great Drake is. So for all of those reasons that you just talked about why you like him are all the reasons <laughs> that men hate him. He represent like, guys don't want that guy representing them. Drake is not the everyman. Drake is not the everyman. So who would you rather have being your, like, male representative besides Aubrey Drake Graham? I'm much more of a fan that I'm going to go Tom Hanks or Denzel Washington. Oh, okay. All right. See, the Tom Hanks is kind of like a goofy everyman, and then the Denzel Washington, he's just, like, a legit badass. I see that. I get that. Anyway, all right, so what's your number two? Do you have another, do you have another thing you guys uh... should do? Me and John have done this together, and it was one of the funnier experiences that I've <laughs> gone along with. But men cannot go get froyo together. <laughs> That's the best mental image ever. Is <laughs> you and John like sitting on a picnic bench under an umbrella, like eating froyo with like gummy bears on top. <laughs> the, the worst thing is the idiot didn't know how that the froyo process worked. And he thought you had to fill up the whole big thing. He didn't understand that you could get a smaller amount. <laughs> I may be making this up. It may have actually happened. But I do believe that he set like the record for that day in terms of how much Froyo one person got. And it was usually the previous person. It was for a family. All right, my number two is men should. I, I think that this is kind of phased itself out, but every once in a while I'll still see it. Men should not grow man buns. I just can't understand it. It requires so much grooming. It requires like constant haircuts. It makes them kind of look like wannabe samurai, and but it just is not a good vibe. I just can't get into it. No more man buns. I feel like a lot of yours center around a certain type of man. The guy who wears the Axe body spray is also the guy that has the man bun. It's like the <laughs> so trendy true. douche, basically. Yeah, it's so true. That's so true. And when we get to my number one, it will round out what that aesthetic of that trendy douche is. Is my number one no-no definitely feeds into that. Okay. For sure. Okay, let's hear it. Well, let's hear it. All right. My number one no-no for guys. Please do not wear capris. I've never seen... Another man wear them, like I don't. Another I don't know. Another man, what... wait. Another man, like you do. Do you? <laughs> I, I mean, I've got a couple of pairs, but I. It's just for you know. It's just for me when I'm at the house. Um, I don't even have a number one. I because I forgot that we were doing this, so I don't. <laughs> that's pretty much all I got. Do you have any honorable mentions? Any other things that you think that men should just not do? Uh, you know, the only other thing that I was thinking of last night. And this used to be something I would do in college all the time. I, I mean, guys always get so nitpicky and, like, finicky and defensive when you would try to, like, wear their hoodies. I would always try to take guys' hoodies because, it, like, they're comfortable and they smell good and they're, like, soft and oversized and they're perfect for walking on campus in the falls in Kansas. But it would be, like, some savagery I would encounter when I would try to leave with someone's hoodie. They would be like... That's my wrestling hoodie from 1998. Like, put that back. Like, I got that at the Balloon Festival when I was in seventh grade. Like, don't take that. And I was like, uh, 
was just gonna borrow it and were you a hoodie thief Sorry. though did you not uh, I, I, I did you have a reputation of not returning hoodies I maybe I did and I didn't even realize it I always had the intention of laundering them and returning them to the rightful owners I don't understand the guy that wouldn't let you borrow the hoodie because when he got it back you would assume that it would probably smell better than when he gave it to you but right. if, but if you had a reputation as being a hoodie thief I could understand why people would would decline it and that's the kind of a reputation that would spread quickly around campus <laughs> it would be I mean those hoodies those are precious those are prized possessions I feel like men should not wear bubble vests I feel like men should not wear scarves, earmuffs. You just have to have a certain amount of manliness. Like, go out there and just be cold, and you can deal with it. That's Everything that you're describing is, like, literally Mugatu from <laughs> Zoolander. Yeah. <laughs> like, as you said that out loud, I was like, oh, that sounds just like Jacoby Mugatu, a.k.a. Jacob Moogberg. AKA the inventor of the piano key necktie. Like as you were listing off those things guys shouldn't wear. And then even with my stuff, the man bun, the capris, the nose hair and things like that. This is like Mugatu and all the characters from Zoolander. So Zoolander really should be like a manual for life. <laughs> it is all you, all I, all I need to know. I learned from the movie Zoolander. See, but that's, that a, would, it, it, that's it, a great movie. It used to be Godfather. Godfather was the Bible for life. And that was how you learned how to go about things and maybe right. it's been replaced by zoolander and that's part of the problem that's kind of a scary thought if you look at think of those two movies in the same vein that was easily easily the most organized top 10 five-ish list that we have ever done so i want to thank rachel carwas for taking the time to come on she's in the middle of getting ready for an npc competition she's only about four or five weeks out and she was able to do this on really short notice so we really appreciate that definitely going to have her back on and it really goes to show just how much things can be accomplished when you are organized i hope that john shull heard that and i hope that he takes that to heart because being organized and having a plan is one of the most important things in life, John. I also want to thank Matthias for joining us. I think that his story... Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.